Okay, you guys, I'm going to be honest. I used to loathe wearing bras because they were so uncomfortable and suffocating. They were the first thing that I ditched the moment I got back home. But Skims totally flipped the script for me. As a dedicated fan of Skims undies, I decided to give their bras a shot. And wow, Skims once again knocked it out of the park. And if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a significant other, they are also going to like Skims. Even the underwire bras are so cozy that you can literally just rock them all day without even realizing you're wearing a bra. Peyton, Peyton loves Skims. She's not lying. She's a supporter. I do. I will purchase Skims outside of this stuff I'm also supposed to be doing ads for. So I purchased my ad stuff and then I'm also like, hey, you know, maybe I should just throw a little t-shirt in here or something. But currently I'm wearing the Fits Everybody push-up bra. I love it. It is so amazing. I also rocked my no-show bra under a dress one night when I went out and it was so cute to just have the mesh detailing poking out. So shop Skims bras at skims.com. They are now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $75. And if you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. So after you place your order, will you please just select podcast in the survey and then select our show, Murder With My Husband, in the drop-down menu that follows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. Boo! Just kidding. (laughs) If you are watching... (laughs) Did you have that planned? No. If you are watching on YouTube, you can see right now that our set is very spooky. It is spooky. And if you're not watching on YouTube... Our set is spooky. Our set is kind of spooky. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a picture or something. Yeah, on we'll post media. one on Instagram. Um, okay. Well, anyways, welcome to our first Halloween episode. We are super excited for the month of October. I did just want to remind everyone that we will be doing four bonus episodes this month for you guys. It's actually the first two will be for everyone. And then the last two will be Patreon exclusive. So if you want to check our Patreon out, that is patreon.com slash murder with my husband. And you can sign up to be getting two episodes a week this month of October um, for Halloween. We are really, really excited about it. Okay, Gary, what's your 10 seconds? All right, 10 seconds. I'm trying to think of like any life updates that have been going on in our life. First life update is probably that our entire house is covered in Halloween decorations, like covered. True. They are all over the place. It's the only holiday or month or whatever that I decorate our home for special. Second update is I hope that we go to the Cheesecake Factory after this because that sounds really good. Oh, okay. Just letting you know. (laughs) We got a special occasion I don't know about. (laughs) Nope, Cheesecake Factory just sounds delicious. Okay. Um, That's actually not what I had in mind for lunch. Oh, really? I was wanting Super Chicks. Okay, well, we're going to have to, well, we'll figure this out. The the last one is someone asked me what brand of shoes I wear. I wear Vans. Just thought I'd shoot that out. Other than that, I think that's my 10 seconds. Um, maybe I can start doing longer ones on like our Patreon episodes. Unless 20 seconds? Like 10 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> unless everybody wants longer ones. But yeah, that's kind of what's going on in my life right now. Okay. Still Perfect. playing pickleball. Yep, still playing pickleball. All right. So our case sources, there are a lot for this week, is AETV.com, Snopes, 
Snopes.com, which was actually very helpful for me. A lot of this information came from Snopes, so thank you. Um, Jclass.umd.edu, um, statesman.com, ctpost.com, murderpedia, vice.com, groovyhistory.com, psychologytoday.com, um, and just Wikipedia as well. Before we hop into it, if that boo scared anyone on podcast, leave it in the comments because I'm kind of curious. <laughs> So I'm sure, like me, most of you have heard of poisoned Halloween candy. The terrible people out there who ruin what should be one of the funnest nights of the year for children. The awful people out there who turn a spooky night into an actual horror. We've all heard about these madmen who poison Halloween candy and hand it out to unsuspecting children as they trick or treat. But as I researched looking for these tales, I found nothing of concrete evidence to support these stories that we've all heard of. No news articles documenting such crimes, not even unsolved ones. So, you know, I asked Snopes, have police in the United States ever documented cases of people randomly distributing poisoned Halloween candy to children on Halloween? Nope. So where does this rumor come from? We have all heard these stories. Was this real or did I really make all of this up in my head? Have you heard of like people handing out poisoned Halloween candy? I feel like though I've seen it on the news before that people have talked about it. Yes, same. But I looked it up and there is no documented case of someone handing out poisoned Halloween candy. As in? Like like children coming up and they hand it out to unsuspecting children. Has there ever been people in the hospital because of it? We'll get there. Okay. So Snopes says that every year there is reporting on radio, TV, you just said, and newspapers mm -hmm. about the potential of tampered candy, that parents should be checking their kids' candy before letting them eat um, after trick-or-treating. But legend has it, these rumors are not of late. Going all the way back to 1995, Ann Landers wrote an article that said, in recent years, there have been reports of people with twisted minds putting razor blades and poison in taffy apples and Halloween candy. Jeez Louise. We will note here that to qualify as like a Halloween poisoning, what we're talking about, poison candy has to be handed out on a random basis to children as part of their trick-or-treating ritual um, inherent to Halloween. The act cannot be targeted to anyone or to one specific child. Okay. So really, where did this come from? Why have people been reporting about this happening for years, but there's no actual reports of this happening? Um, well, if you've ever played a game of telephone, you know these horror stories aren't completely completely fabricated. Here are the cases that led to the tampered Halloween candy craze that we still see the rippling effects of today. The date is October 31st, 1974. It's a spooky Halloween night, even spookier as it just begun to rain as kids run from house to house in Deer Park, Texas. Witches, goblins, and monsters dash around outside as 30-year-old Ronald Clark O'Brien steps outside onto his porch and debates whether he can still take his two children trick-or-treating in this weather. It's raining. But come on, it's Halloween. He had been displaying abnormal anticipation for Halloween this year to his friends and family, so he closes the door and gets them ready for what should be one of the best nights of the year. Eight-year-old Timothy and five-year-old Elizabeth O'Brien put on their costumes and head out with their eager father. They actually meet up with Jim Bates, who is a family friend who also brings along his two children. It might actually 
just be one son. It kind of depends mm-hmm. on the source. Okay. But either way, they meet up with this family and they all decide to go trick-or-treating together. One of the houses the group arrives to goes unanswered. And the four discouraged kids walk back to the sidewalk like they didn't answer. They weren't home. They begin walking to their next house when Ronald disappears from the group. Ronald's the dad. Moments later, he catches back up and tells them that as they were walking away, the homeowners of the last house actually opened the front door. They were actually home. They just didn't wait long enough up there. So he actually ran up and grabbed some candy from them for the kids. Um, But the kids are already dancing around waiting to run up to the next house. So Ronald tells them, okay, just go. I'll give you the candy that they gave us like when we get back to the house later Mm -hmm. tonight. So as the night comes to a close for the small group, smiling faces and bags full of candy, the four kids and two fathers make their way back to the Bates home. It's already getting suspicious. I feel like I am listening to a goosebump story. Once there, Ronald hands each of the three to four kids, kind of depends, um, the candy that he had collected from the home that night of the people who weren't home. And the candy was Pixie Sticks. I'm not a big fan of Pixie Sticks. Me either. I, Just a mouthful of sugar. Is anybody? Not my thing. I'm sure someone out there likes Pixie Sticks. If you sticks. like Pixie Sticks, let us know. So he actually had a leftover Pixie Stick and he ends up giving it to the next trick-or-treater who knocks on the Bates door. And I guess rumor has it he knew this little boy from church. So he was like, oh, here, we got this random Pixie Stick from a house. Here, you can have it. So as Ronald, Timothy, and Elizabeth leave the Bates home to go to their own home um, and the knocks on their door grow further and further apart, the night coming to an end, Ronald gets Timothy and Elizabeth ready for bed. But it's not long before this Halloween night turns into a real-life scary movie for this family. Eight-year-old Timothy begins complaining of a stomach ache. Oh, no. Here we go. Ronald would later tell police that Timothy was in the bathroom convulsing, vomiting, and gasping when he suddenly went limp. It was on the way to the hospital that eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien died on that Halloween night. What? He just, okay. Yeah. When the medical examiner looked at Timothy's lifeless body, they noticed the scent of almonds. And apparently this is a telltale sign of cyanide poisoning. Like if someone's breath after they've died smells like almonds... It's like a hint that maybe they were poisoned. Oh my gosh, okay. Um, And so it was after the autopsy that it was confirmed that Timothy had in fact consumed enough potassium cyanide to kill three grown men. Holy crap. So thinking the worst, police immediately jumped to the unnerving conclusion that maybe possibly Timothy's Halloween candy had been poisoned. Some stranger had handed him poisoned Halloween candy and he had ate it and died. Knowing the gravity of what they are suggesting, police immediately went back to the O'Brien's house and examined all of Timothy's candy. Now you tell me which candy was poisoned. Oh, for sure the pixie sticks. The pixie sticks. Police immediately confiscated Elizabeth's uneaten pixie stick and they warned the Bates about the possible threat. Um, Luckily, neither of the Bates kids had actually eaten their pixie sticks yet. And the other boy who had been given a pixie stick that night had also not eaten his, but that wasn't by his choice. He was found that night with the pixie stick in his hand. While he slept, it looks like he fell asleep while trying to open it, but was unsuccessful. So like, that is horrible that he just died. Like it killed him that fast. Mm -hmm. Upon examination of all the uneaten sticks, it was determined that someone had dumped out the top two inches of each stick and replaced the powder with cyanide and then stapled the tube back shut again. 
So someone had, in fact, tampered with this Halloween candy. Police sit down with Ronald Clark O'Brien and ask him to pinpoint exactly what house handed out the poison candy. But he couldn't give them a straight answer. They were not in their own neighborhood when this had happened. Police actually made him retrace his steps. And according to John Quaid with Countdown to Death, Ronald finally fingers C.E. Melvin of 4112 Donnerell Road as the house and man who gave him the pixie sticks. But when police check in with C.E. Melvin, they discover he was actually an air dispatcher at Hobby Airport and was working Halloween night. He he, he wasn't even home. This is, the reason this doesn't sound right to me is because I feel like he would remember. I do you too. You would remember, oh, this is for sure the house. Like, I don't even know if it would be a question, really. And also, this was the house he ran up to the door and got the candy from because yep. the kids left too early. So it's like, it's not even just like it was another house. I mean, super suspicious. Yeah. With not much to go on, police dive into Ronald's life as his inability to help find his son's murderer becomes apparent. Ronald lived in a middle-class suburb of Houston with his wife and two children. He was an optician and deacon at a Baptist church. According to AETV.com, Ronald sang in the choir at church and also oversaw the church's bus program. He seemed like a model citizen and was described as a good Christian man and an above-average father. Which, Garrett, I want you to know you are an above-average I'm above-average. I was just thinking that when you said that. <laughs> I just thought that was such a weird way yeah, to describe someone. above-average. So at the surface, Ronald really seemed to have a good life, but the further police dug, the deeper the hole went. They discovered that Ronald actually struggled to keep a job. In the last 10 years, he had been employed by over 21 different companies. At each Whoa. company, yeah, at each company, he was fired for negligence or fraudulent behavior. By the time of our story, the fall of 1974, Ronald was under suspicion at Texas State Optical for stealing money. He was being paid $150 a week, but was in severe debt, around $100,000, which in the 70s? It's a lot. Yeah. He had, he had several bank loans and hadn't paid his car bill in a very long time. Almost not wanting to even look any deeper, police are disgusted when they discover that Ronald O'Brien had actually just taken out multiple life insurance policies on his children. The amount added up to $40,000 on Timothy. Always. It's always the life insurance policies. With an impossible but clear suspect in mind, police also discovered that Ronald had gone to several chemical companies before the time of Timothy's death and asked them questions about cyanide, where to buy it, and even how much it would take to kill somebody. What a loser. So after searching the O'Brien's home, they found a pocket knife or scissors, kind of depends, um, that had pixie dust on it. Okay, it's actually pixie stick dust. But yeah. This led police to think that the knife or the scissors were used to contaminate the candy. When police confronted Ronald with their evidence, he maintained his innocence and he also maintained his role as a father who just lost his child. He argued that a heartless monster had handed out poison candy to his son and killed him. I mean, you could get around that. Oh, I cut them open for my kids, yeah. right? I mm-hmm. use those scissors. Mm-hmm. There's so many ways. So despite this, he was still arrested on November 5th, 1974, and he was charged with his son's murder after felling a polygraph. Okay, we're in the 70s, so polygraphs are a little bit more like... Just a reminder, if you are new to the channel, do not take take a polygraph. polygraph. He had knowingly poisoned multiple pieces of candy in hopes of killing his children and getting money for it. He gave it to other children with the idea that it would make it look like someone was actually giving out poisonous candy that night if more than just his kids died. 
which is just that's insane. awful. He was like, well, it's worth the 40 grand if other kids die. Like as long as it doesn't make it look like I'm guilty. Holy crap. Yeah. So sadly, Timothy was the only one to actually ingest the poisonous candy. Um, Timothy complained that it tasted bitter after tasting it or like after eating it. I don't know. You don't really eat it. You kind of just pour it. But after pouring it into his mouth, he said it tasted bitter. And so his father, Ronald, who poisoned the candy, gave him Kool-Aid to wash down the, the bitter powder because he was literally just pouring cyanide into his. What did the wife think? Nothing. I can't find anything. I can't find anything about oh, her. Or okay. You have to understand like this isn't a very covered case because it was back in the 70s. So there's not a lot of detail about it. But according to AETV.com, Joni Johnston, a forensic psychologist and private investigator says people who poison, so poisoners as a group, typically lack empathy evidenced by the premeditated nature in which they kill and the cold calculating strategy they often use. Poisoning is also an instrument for someone who is kind of cunning and sneaky, not somebody who's going to be physically or verbally aggressive, right? Like they don't go up and kill or like shoot or stab they do it in a way that they don't even have to be there when it Got happens it. they are also more likely to be polite behind the scenes and as a result they tend to fool people because they're just less aggressive than our normal murderers which makes sense considering he was doing fraudulent activities at yes all sneaky, his jobs sneaky dad yes on june 3rd 1975 a harris county jury convicted ronald of murder and he was sentenced to death and it wow. took only an hour of deliberation to decide this. Ronald appealed his case twice to the Supreme Court, but all of his appeals were denied. On March 31st, 1984, 10 years after he poisoned his son, Ronald Clark O'Brien was executed by lethal injection at the Texas State Penitentiary. Wow, not many death penalties, I feel like, go through. Exactly. Ronald Clark O'Brien is known as the Candyman now, or the man who killed Halloween. And the murder of his son on Halloween is rumored to be the story that has the biggest impact on the snowball effect of assumptions that random houses hand out poison candy, even though this is not actually what happened in this case but this case is one of the biggest reasons that that rumor exists now this guy wasn't actually handing out poison uh. candy to unsuspecting children but he kind of helped launch yeah. this rumor that this happened no way yes and in pasadena where everyone knew it wasn't really a stranger who did this halloween safety programs were still started and implemented to teach parents methods of evaluating the safety of door-to-door -door treats so literally even his hometown was like, well, even though that's not what happened, we need to like be putting programs of, of parents checking candy. All right, we're jumping into a Shopify ad. Love Shopify, bunch of ads for them. If you have any type of online business, e-commerce store at all, please go and check out Shopify. You will absolutely love it and make sure you use code husband or go to shopify.com slash husband. I think sometimes starting something, we all have these aspirations, right? We're like, oh, I make these little, I knit these little onesies. I really want to sell them or I do this or I do that. But then you have no idea what that actually looks like. Shopify is the answer. That is how you do it. And when we started podcasting, I was like, okay, maybe we're done with Shopify. But nope, here we are selling merch. So we're still using it. From the launch your online store stage to the real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. No, we have not hit a million orders on Murder With My Husband, but maybe one day. <laughs> 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs to every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. You guys don't forget to use code husband. It really it, it benefits you and it benefits us. Shopify.com slash husband. All right, everybody, we're talking about food, not just any food, but daily harvest. And when it comes to eating well, we are not the best at it. And we're also not very good cooks. That's why we love daily harvest. They have no gluten fillers, seed oils, added sugars or starches. Daily harvest really takes the guesswork and effort out of cooking because they deliver delicious smoothies and other options that are built on organic fruits and vegetables straight to your door. I love their smoothies. Yeah, love Garrett, them. Garrett drinks one every day. And when it comes to variety, Daily Harvest is always keeping it exciting as well. They have tons of great smoothies and other meal options that look so delicious. You never get bored when it comes to meals and snacks. So take the guessing out of eating well and try Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash husband to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash husband for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Again, go check out their stuff. They got food. They got smoothies. They got something for lunch, breakfast, anytime you want to eat something. It's very convenient and we love it. Dailyharvest.com slash husband. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ronald truly was the biggest voice in the game of telephone about Halloween candy that we still hear of today. That is so crazy. Also, so messed up, he killed his own kid. His own kid. And tried to blame it as someone else giving out poison Halloween candy, which is just like cruel. Like, that's just like awful. Yeah. Horrible. So this was not the only case, though, that has fed the paranoia around poisoned Halloween candy. According to Snopes, in Detroit in 1970, five-year-old Kevin Tostin died of a heroin overdose four days after Halloween. Five years old. When his family pointed to his Halloween candy as the source, like someone put heroin mm -hmm. in his Halloween candy, police analyzed it and found that, in fact, it had been sprinkled with heroin. There was heroin in his Halloween candy. It was somehow just laced with, yep. with heroin. Um, the case was heavily reported on. Uh, this five-year-old dies after someone hands out candy full of heroin. And so parents began like frantically throwing out their children's Halloween candy, like panic spread everywhere. But after some investigation, police concluded that Kevin had actually just found his uncle's heroin stash at home oh, and consumed man. it like candy because it was Halloween and he had been just eating candy like this. And when the family figured out what happened, they sprinkled heroin on the little boy's leftover candy to protect the uncle because like that's illegal. What? You're kidding and me. And tried once again to blame it on the fact that someone was handing out poisoned Halloween that candy. Is, that is absurd. 
That is so messed up. But that wasn't actually what happened once again. So the conclusion of the story, though, of it being just the family who'd done it, wasn't reported on as much as the first part, which was someone hand out, handed out heroin candy. This just spread paranoia. And even, in fact, right now, if you Google Kevin Tostin's name, which is the five-year-old who died, mm-hmm. you can actually see headlines still to this day that say, Halloween candy suspected in death of boy. Wow. And five-year-old Kevin Tostin died after eating heroin lace candy despite the fact that that's not actually like no one actually handed him out candy that was laced with heroin. I can't believe anything online. I know. And then on Halloween in 1994, a three-year-old in New Britain, Connecticut was diagnosed with cocaine poisoning around Halloween and the media immediately ran with tampered Halloween candy in this area. It's happening here now. And about a week later, police announced that they found no trace of cocaine on any of the candy in the house. He probably just ran into it somewhere else, was licking his hands, had put his hand in it, something like that. In 1982, a doctor misread lab results and told the public that he had tended to a sick child who had been fed cyanide-laced Halloween candy. So again, cyanide. Again, once again, everyone's freaking out. Oh my gosh, someone's handing out poison candy. But later, FDA tests of the candy turned up no contamination at all. Although that wasn't published in the news the same way that the initial statement was. Mm. In 1991, 31-year-old Kevin Michael Cherry died after eating his child's Halloween candy. And once the news broke, parents around dumped out pounds and pounds of Halloween candy. After autopsy, they found that Kevin had just died of natural causes. No poison and found and you have to understand just like any other day people are going to die every single day but i think when people die on halloween everyone's first conclusion it's is the they candy. were poisoned yes yeah. so in 1990 seven-year-old ariel katz died in santa monica while trick-or-treating the santa monica police announced a mass random poisoning and went door to door blocking off streets and confiscating everybody's candy in the area why would they do that it later came out that she had actually just died of congenital heart failure no halloween candy was involved but for a week they had spread mass panic literally taking oh. back halloween candy. In 2001, four-year-old Tiffany Trung died in Vancouver the day after Halloween. Police immediately issued an alert to get rid of any Halloween candy in the area. Everyone followed in a frenzy, but the cause of death was actually nothing to do with Halloween candy. She had just died of like random causes. So in 2000, kids came home from trick-or-treating in Hercules, California with snicker bars that had little packets of marijuana in them. Never all the moms were like, someone was trying to make our kids eat a yeah. whole packet of marijuana. That's completely awful. Like pull the Halloween <laughs> candy. But the homeowner who handed out these Snickers was dumbfounded when police came to him and was like, yo, this, you can't do this. And he's like, no, no, no. I had no idea that these Snickers had marijuana. Yeah. In them. I really didn't. And it wasn't until the homeowner told police that he was a postal employee who found the lost package of Snickers and at work it. and brought them home. I was like, oh, I'll hand these out. Now I don't have to go buy Halloween candy. They realized someone was actually trying to smuggle weed in Snickers packages, but the package had gotten lost. That's so it didn't get to hilarious. the dealer and this guy handed it out. So he wasn't doing it on purpose, but all these little stories have led people to believe that this happens, that people are randomly targeting like children on Halloween. Also very good idea. I'm putting the 
the, the weed, weed in the there. Snickers. Okay, yes. okay. So it's true. There really hasn't been one recorded random case of poisoned Halloween candy being handed out. Fun fact, supposedly Christian like trunk or treats were designed after the candy tampering myths became nationwide. So trunk or treats were supposed to be safer ways, um, like, you know, filled with people that you mm-hmm. could trust to hand out candy that wasn't poisoned even though no one has ever actually handed out poisoned candy on Halloween. That is so crazy. I would, because growing up, it was the same thing. It was like, careful. Like, like you got to check your candy. Yep. Exactly. Check to see if it's been opened. But all of this doesn't mean that people don't do some wacky things, you know, even on Halloween. I mean, we spend every other day of the year telling kids, don't take any candy from strangers. But then on Halloween, we send them up to the doorsteps and say, and do just that, yeah. like take take candy from strangers. So in 1959, William Shine, a California dentist, handed out candy-coated laxative pills to trick-or-treaters. Um, okay, like obviously this isn't poison. It's not going to kill somebody. This is a lot different. But it's, what the... F- it's what? still messed up. Like he was charged with outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs. He just got a kick out of... Yeah, which I mean... So weird. this isn't this isn't going to kill you, but this is still weird that yeah. someone has done this. And then in 1964, a Long Island, New York woman gave out Halloween packages of inedible objects to teenagers who she believed were too old to be trick-or-treating. Oh, my God. So to children, she like handed out candy. But if a teenager came, um, she was trying to teach them a lesson and she would give them a package that had dog biscuits. So when they bit them, it wasn't actually candy. Still wool balls. Oh, which my I'm gosh. Like, obviously, they're not going to bite that. And then also ant buttons that were covered in poison, which oh. no one's going to eat a button. So yeah. it's a little weird. Um, but she was prosecuted either way because she had tried to make someone eat inedible objects. Um, and that would have been unpleasant. Speaking of unpleasant, so it seems pretty rare that someone will be giving poisonous candy out based on statistics, but it's actually more probable that you will bite down on a needle hidden in Halloween candy than actual poison because this has happened. According to Professor Joel Best, there have been approximately 80 reports of sharp objects inserted into Halloween candy since 1959. But the majority of these uh, like instances turned out to be pranks. Most cases of objects like razors or needles in candy came from family or friends trying to play a very distasteful prank on someone. Mm-hmm. Like, please don't pull that prank, but it's happened, which is weird. But I do need to mention in 2000, 49-year-old James Joseph Smith placed needles in Snicker bars and handed them out to children on Halloween. Which, what's with the Snicker bars? I don't know. Weed Snickers, needle Snickers. Um, So James Smith did this in Minneapolis and was charged with one count of adulterating a substance with intent to cause harm, um, death, or illness. Can that kill you? Do you know? No. So only one boy was actually hurt by these needles and it was just kind of like sharp in his mouth when he bit down. But if if you swallow a needle... I don't know. No one... It said that no one was actually hurt. I'm I'm assuming that like depending on how big the needle is, like you take one bite and you're going to be like, ah, there's a needle in here. Uh You know what I mean? But if it was a small needle, then I would assume that that would be harmful. I don't know. So I think though, that the real case that has scared everybody, the case that enables these rumors to keep 
rumoring um, actually happened in 1982 and it was the Tylenol murders that happened in Chicago a month before Halloween. On September 29, 1982, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman of Elk Grove Village, Illinois died after taking a capsule of extra strength Tylenol. Have you heard of these? Mm Mm-mm. Um, on the same day, Adam Janice and his brother Stanley and sister-in-law Teresa of Illinois also died after all taking Tylenol out of the same bottle. The next few days, Mary McFarland, Paula Prince, and Mary Reiner all died after taking Tylenol in their own separate wow. lives. So it took a minute, but once the connection was made that all of these people were dying after ingesting Tylenol, panic and fear set in. Tests were carried out, which soon revealed that each person's bottle was filled with cyanide capsules instead of Tylenol. What is up with the cyanide? Right. Well, because it can kill you. Yeah. Immediately. But like, where's everyone getting this from? Yes, right? And like, where was the idea? Where was the idea to like poison someone through Tylenol? So immediately warnings were sent out to the media and even patrol cars like drove around using loudspeakers warning residents in Chicago, don't take any more Tylenol. Stop taking your Tylenol. Throw your Tylenol out. Investigators actually ruled out the production company being the ones who tampered with medicine because the tampered with bottles actually all came from different companies and different stores. And so police concluded that whoever did this made their way to different supermarkets and drugstores like CVS, Walgreens over several weeks and they bought different like bottles of Tylenol. They then took them home and switched out the Tylenol capsules with cyanide Mm -hmm. capsules. They then sealed the bottles back up and periodically went back to the stores and put these bottles back on the shelf to be resold again to someone else. So what was the reason? Like why did they have any reason? No, just to kill someone. What? Like to kill randomly, kind of like the Unabomber. Horrible. He just kind of bombed randomly. Um, I think it's the same thing. Like this is a specific type of killer who does this like psychologically they've determined. Got it. Um, But yeah, just to kill random people. That's so horrible. In addition to the five bottles that were sold to the the different victims, police also found a few more contaminated bottles on shelves in the Chicago area that had not been bought yet. Okay. Okay. Johnson and Johnson actually distributed warnings to hospitals and distributors and Tylenol halted production and all advertising when this happened. Finally, on October 5th, 1982, a nationwide recall of Tylenol products was issued and 31 million bottles were in circulation, which led to a retail value of over $100 million of Tylenol being recalled. Dang. Advertisements also went out nationwide to not consume Tylenol products. Like you literally saw ads on TV saying, don't take Tylenol anymore. I'm scared to take Tylenol now. Well, we're ibuprofen people, so I don't really ever take Tylenol. That's true. You know. So according to Wikipedia, during the initial investigations, a man named James William Lewis was accused of actually sending a letter to Johnson & Johnson demanding $1 million to stop the cyanide induced murders. So he was like, I'm the murderer. And if you give me 1 million, I won't do it anymore, Got it. which is traceable. So Lewis was obviously arrested. He was tried and convicted of extortion and um, sentenced to 10 years in prison. But during the trial, attorneys for Lewis claimed that he intended only to focus the attention of the authorities on his wife's former employer. So he blamed someone else during it. And then investigators concluded Lewis still was responsible for the poisonings, despite the fact that they did not have enough evidence to charge him. 
So he ends up getting off because they're like, we don't actually have enough physical evidence to charge him for it. And in January 2010, both Lewis and his wife submitted DNA samples and fingerprints to authorities when they reopened the case once again. Lewis said, if the FBI plays it fair, I have nothing to worry about. And Lewis still to this day continues to deny deny all responsibility for the poisonings. So So he got off? Yeah. Because all they had was that he wrote them saying, I'll do this and I'll stop. But when they confront him, he's like, no, 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 it was a joke. I was just trying to get money out of it. It was actually someone else who did it. They didn't have any actual evidence to prove it was him. So although never charging a suspect, these murders planted a seed for future killers. So three more deaths actually occurred in 1986 using the same strategy, poisoning medicine that's at stores. Because of this incident, medicine like this now has tamper-resistant packaging or is locked Mm. up, which is why it's so freaking hard to open these medicine bottles, which I know we have one upstairs that has that weird thing on it. This is why. This exact case is why. But hey, if it might save my life from weirdos wanting to poison random people, I'll do it. I'll, I'll take 10 I'll minutes take to open it. a bottle. So in conclusion, I don't think you have to worry about your Halloween candy single-handedly leading to your death this year. Although spooky, no one has actually died from a stranger poisoning their Halloween candy. Um, and if your candy is poisoned, it's probably by somebody you know, not someone random. You might get a scratch or an unpleasant bite from a needle in your candy. But once again, statistically, it's someone you know playing a bad prank. So get new friends if this happens to you. When it comes to medicine, there is something sadistic about poisoning the thing that's supposed to physically make strangers feel better. And I think that tells us all we need to know about that. So urban legends, folklore, and tall tales, it's all one big game of telephone. So have fun this Halloween. And that's our episode on Halloween candy tampering. First of all, number one, why is there so many weird, crazy people out there? Right? Like the the, the laxative one, the needle one, and then like the Tylenol murders, which really did kill people. Two, I had no idea that I honestly thought people poisoned candy. I've been telling people that people poison candy. Like I've looked at people and been like, oh, well, people hand out poison candy on Halloween. And then I went to research it because I was like, oh, I want to do a case about- And we're just spreading false lies. Literally. I was like, I'm going to do a case about all the people who have died via Halloween, like poisoning, candy poisoning. And then I went to look it up and I was like- this is a lie. I had no this idea. This is never actually, there's no, there's not an actual reported case of a random stranger poisoning another random stranger via Halloween candy. It's all very targeted and specific. Yes. Yeah. It's either someone, you know, it's a family member trying to blame it like we saw, or it's the things we've heard over like needles or laxatives. And those aren't actually going to kill you. That's not actual murder. That's so crazy. Did any of you guys know this? Did anyone else know this? Because I had no idea. I'm going to feel dumb if everyone's like, yeah, we all knew that this wasn't a thing. But watch. Watch the news. I promise you we're going to see things this year about check your Halloween candy for razor blades or poison candy. But it's it's not. I'm curious how many articles or how many things people send that. I don't know. I'm curious if we see anything different. Someone does send something that's like, well, no, actually this person. Has died or something. But all the research I've done. I mean. People have died of poison Halloween candy. We just went over. But it's all targeted and specific. And in order for it to be like a random 
Halloween candy poisoning, they've had to have handed out multiple poisoned pieces of Halloween candy to strangers. Yes. Not knowing who was going to take it, not knowing who was going to die. That was what it would have to be to be classified as that. Got it. Which is just crazy. So crazy. Okay, you guys. Well, we have our bonus episode coming out midweek this week, and it is going to be spooky stories. Reminder that you can submit that via the Google form in the link in our bio or in this like episode's notes. But we will be reading those, and we are super excited for that bonus episode. And there will also be another added on surprise during that episode. So tune in to figure out what that is, and we will see you guys this week with another episode. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye.